All right, let's bow our heads, pray for the offering, let's get into the Word of God. Uh, Father in heaven, we thank you once again uh, for your abundant grace. We thank you that you're faithful, and we thank you, Lord, uh, that every good and perfect gift comes down from you, and we want to be faithful in that which you have first given unto us. And so, Lord, I pray uh, over the offering and all those who have purposed in their hearts to give back unto you, Lord God, and we do pray that you would receive these offerings and that you would make all grace abound, that you would give the leaders wisdom and insight, Lord, to appropriate these resources to continue to build the kingdom of God, to minister to the saints, and of course, to spread the gospel message, the most precious message ever, that Jesus Christ has come to seek and save that which is lost. And Lord, I ask you to be with me, Lord, that I would step aside, that you would be my mouthpiece, you would be my words, and that you would speak through me all the words that lead to everlasting life. And I pray you give everyone in here the ears to hear, everyone who's watching or will watch later, the ears to hear, and that it wouldn't just be the words of man, but it will be the power and demonstration of the Spirit, that it will go not in one ear and out the other, but in one ear and into the depths of our hearts so that we may grow and know you, Lord God. And I do pray most of all that today would be the day of salvation. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your faithfulness. And again, be with Pastor David and his family. We love him, Lord. In Jesus' holy name we pray. And the saints said, amen, amen. All right, open up your Bibles. John chapter 11, again, sovereignty of God. I didn't, this is just where I am. Um, I taught John 10 last time. And so here we're in John chapter 11. Obviously it's relevant. Uh, we're talking about death. So, uh, that's just the way God had it, right? At the end of the day. So we'll just teach through the Bible as God ordained us to do so. So John chapter 11, the title of the message, Jesus has the final word. Death is fatal, but it's not final. Amen? Jesus has the final word, right? Very, uh, one of the first book I ever read in the Bible was Job. Yeah, why'd you do that? Yeah, I don't know, right? <laughs> the first book I ever read in the Bible was Job. One of my favorite books is a tremendous book, and it gives us a very divine understanding of the sovereignty of God and trials, right? But what stuck out to me as I studied this is two questions that Job asked in the book. One was, how could a man be right before God? But the other one was, and this is the million dollar question that everyone wants to answer who are not in Christ, is that if a man dies or a woman dies, shall they live again? That is the question. And gee, this was written 6,000 years ago, the book of Job, but Jesus answered that question 2,000 years ago, very clearly and distinctly. So we see in this chapter, we're going to see Jesus perform the last uh, public miracle as he's on his way to the cross in the Gospel of John. And this one is, hopefully you guys have read it, raising Lazarus from the dead. Death is a very, very heavy topic, but it's an inevitable reality that I think everyone in this room has experienced in one, some way, shape, or form. See, the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is death. It's a payment. And that through one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. Therefore, death passed to everyone because all of us have sinned. For the non-believer, Job says that death is the king of terrors. That those who don't believe, it's in Hebrews, that they're in bondage to the fear of death all their lives. Solomon actually says in uh, 90 and 12, that the wisest thing we can do is to think about and prepare for our departure. When he says, teach us to number our days, that we can gain a heart of wisdom. Yet, Jesus Christ, in him, death has 
he has, death does not have the final word. He does. So as believers, we have the promise that when we die, we're absent from the body and then we're present with the Lord. I know personally for me in the last six years, death has lifted up its heel against Christopher Camper. That was my brother. But Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Death lifted up its heel against Johnny and Ola Johnston. That's Pastor Dave's parents. But Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Death lifted up its heel against Charmaine, Moko, Moriarty. But Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Of course, last Friday, death lifted up its heel against Mark Johnston. But Jesus said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. Saints, Jesus has the final word. We must know Jesus. Death is no death when we have Jesus. Amen? The book here in John, the theme is that we may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing we may have life in his name. See, John meticulously listed signs and miracles so that we would know that Jesus is God and that knowing we wouldn't guess or imagine, but we would know for sure that Jesus is the Son of God and that we would believe on him and not perish, right? And so that is kind of a little insert to John and where we are. So on our outline, I'll go over this quickly because I don't think I'm gonna finish. It's 57 verses, I doubt I'll finish. But with God's grace, and you teach line upon line, you just finish up where you, where you go from there. So I tell the message again, Jesus has the final word. Death is fatal, but not final. First point is the reality of death. Guess what? We are all going to die, all of us. And that's a heavy reality, unless you're raptured, right? But, you know, either one's fine for me, right? <laughs> death has no sting for the believer, but we're all going to die. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, and it's appointed for a man to die once and afterwards is the judgment. We're all going to stand before God one day, every single one of us. And you're going to stand by yourself. The person to your left won't be there. The person to your right won't be there. Mommy and daddy won't be there. Your pastor won't be there. You're going to stand mano a mano with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And you're going to give an account. And I pray and hope that everyone in here will be able to present themselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and his righteousness alone, right? And so that's the reality. We're all going to die. Secondly, God's delay is not God's denial. We see that Jesus purposely and intentfully waited several days after he heard Lazarus was dead. And the text says very clearly that in whom he loved, but yet he still waited. So a lot of times in our lives, we think because God didn't answer our prayer right away, or I didn't hear from him, that it's an automatic denial. That's not always the case. Sometimes God is just waiting so that he can be sure that he will get the glory and not anyone else, right? Amen? Second point, dealing with death, and I put in parentheses, in Jesus because you can deal with death two ways, with or without them. You choose, right? But we receive comfort from the God of all comfort. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you this, Sunday was, yes, it, 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 it hurt. But the comfort from the body of Christ and everybody coming together strength gave strength. And I believe by the Holy Spirit and the comfort that we all gave by the grace of God is why he was able to finish the message. I could not even come to imagine teaching and coming to church two days after a child. Your child has passed. You know, I look again, the book of Job 325, it says, that which I feared the most has come upon me, my children. That probably has to be the worst pain one can ever deal with. 
I haven't, I haven't dealt with it, but I can only imagine. But we receive comfort from the God of all comfort, and we weep with those who weep. Amen? And in Jesus, we don't die. We live eternally with him, absent from the body, present with the Lord. And I know you guys have heard that over and over, but I can't tell you you're going to need it when, it when and if it comes upon you and somebody in your family. You are going to need that drummed in your head because the enemy is going to try to tap dance on you and steal your joy and try to make you curse the Lord like Satan tried to do with Job, right? You're going to need those words of comfort that absent from the body is present with the Lord and we grieve, but not like those without hope. Thirdly, Jesus Christ alone has power over death. He's the only one. He's the only savior. He is a living God. All the other gods are dead and in the grave, have hands but can't touch, eyes and can't see, and mouths and can't speak, and zero power to save. Only Jesus Christ has power over death. As the phrase, death has no sting, grave, no victory. And once we're made alive, we're to disciple others once we're born again, hence the grave clothes. And lastly, if your friend of Jesus makes us an enemy with the world, marvel not the world hates you, right? Amen? That's if you're not a closet Christian. If you're a closet Christian, come out tonight, okay? Amen. All right. <laughs> Let's get into the text, 11.1. <laughs> Verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with their hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. So we're not sure how much time from John 10, where he talked about the good shepherd, until John 11 has passed, but we do know that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were close friends with Jesus. Some would say that he would often go to their house when he would travel. Remember the Bible says Jesus had no, no place to lay his head. He didn't have a home, and so he would stay at people's houses. So some believe that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, they're all siblings. They would let, Jesus would be welcome at their house. They would feed him. They would let him sleep there. They had a great, deep, personal relationship with the Lord Jesus. So John is making it very clear that these three are tied together and they're connected to Jesus. And I think that's important to understand the text because so many times we think just because you have a relationship with Jesus, you're exempt from trials. Just because we know the Lord that, oh, bad things can't happen, can't happen to that person. You know, I remember back five years now, like my brother, when I thought of my brother was murdered and it kind of got around. I heard some people say, well, you're, you're such a holy man. Like, you know, you love the Lord. You serve, how did this happen to you? We live in a fallen world, right? This, it, it's, sin has no, shows no partiality. Death shows no partiality. You could be the holiest of the holy or the wicked of the wicked. It comes upon us all. It's a reality. And so these people had a great relationship with Jesus. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, a deep relationship. Lazarus, the word actually means, the name means one whom God helps, a personal friend of Jesus from Bethany. Later on, after Jesus raised him from the dead, he appeared at the Passover celebration, eating with Jesus, fellowshipping. If you guys know, back uh, the next chapter, they wanted to kill Lazarus. Why? Who remembers? Because he was an open testimony to the power and identity of who Jesus was. They said, oh, no, 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 you got to get up out of here, man. You, you ruined our gig too. Jesus raised you from the dead. Now you eating with him? Nah, man, we got to get you out of here. So he ended up being, they wanted to kill him. That just goes to show you how much religion and those who oppose the Lord hate those who are walking with the Lord, right? Now imagine, and some of us have gone through this, a deep worry over a loved one who's deathly ill. Imagine your only hope is in Jesus 
And because they're a friend of Jesus, look what they do. When he says that he is sick, the word means to be weak, feeble, without strength, and powerless. And like when I hear that, it really just gives me a picture of how every single one of us are before we come to the Lord. Is that we're weak and without strength. That scripture, Romans 5, it says that while we're weak and without strength, Christ died for the ungodly in Romans 5. We, we are incapable of saving ourselves. And I think the cross is like an, a never-ending reminder that you can't save yourself. Because if you could, Jesus wouldn't have came and died. He would have waited for you to be born, and then we waited for you to save us. And it, that didn't happen, right? He already knew. He, all of us outside the cross, there was no hope for us, right? <laughs> At least there's 4,000 years before that. But yeah, anyway. But Mary, we talked about Lazarus. Mary of Bethany, sister of Martha, remember? Mary and Martha. Martha was what? Servant. She's servant. She was busy, much serving. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should all be servants. But Mary did what? Sat at Jesus' feet, right? And I believe we need all three. We need to sit at the table with Jesus. We need to serve with Jesus. And we also need to sit at Jesus' feet. But Mary John makes it very clear which Mary this was. I don't know about you, but I got confused with a lot of Marys in the Bible. I'm just going to be real. Like this Mary wanted the tomb, then one Mary of Jesus, and the one over here. I'm just like, John, thanks. I appreciate this. Because now I know like which Mary he's talking about. Like I don't have to go research and look at all the Marys that are in Scripture. I know this is the Mary that sat at Jesus' feet. I appreciate those details. And so I also appreciate the fact we can glean from that because we need to be blessed by sitting at Jesus' feet as well. How often do we get caught up in everything else except sitting at Jesus' feet? We're going to serve, praise God. There's nothing wrong with that. You guys should be serving. Oh, I'm going to go help someone out. We should be doing that, right? And then you neglect your personal devotion with the Lord. Oh, I really encourage you guys, and even this is for me too, we need to prioritize sitting at Jesus' feet before anything else. And now I had a conviction of mine where I would, I would say, far be it from me lest I study to teach before sitting at Jesus' feet. Because, you know, when you teach a lot, to be honest with you guys, like, you'll just study just to teach. And that's a blessing too, but it's a difference when you study just to sit at his feet and then study to teach others. And I'll tell you this, I'm blessed both, but I'm more blessed by just sitting at his feet. And I think we can glean from Mary on that and what she's known for is just sitting at Jesus' feet, and he said that Mary's taking the better, which will not be taken away from her, right? And so John gives us who these people are, and I'm just, I'm making highlight of that, just so you know, these were men and women of God. They had a great relationship with the Lord Jesus. Jesus said, if you want to be great, let us become servant of all. Martha was an example of a chief servant, yet she may have or may not have lacked in a personal devotion category, but may we never put ministry before the minister. Amen? And that minister is Jesus. Verse 3 says, Therefore the sisters sent to him, Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. He whom you love is sick. So they called it, they sent for Jesus, and they say, he whom you love is sick. Now notice it wasn't, hey, you better, you need to go heal him. You need to go uh, raise him from the dead. He wasn't, he wasn't dead. He was dead, but they didn't know that at that point. You need to go do this. Notice there aren't any demands, right? But simply Jesus who knows all things and because they have a personal relationship with him is just simply, Lord, here's what's happened. And then there's this deep trust for him, for them, to him to do what needs to be done. 
They don't give him instructions, but they simply inform him of the one whom he loves. And sometimes, you know, we can fall on the opposite, where we come to the Lord and we, we start making demands. Lord, I need you to do this. This is what's happened. I, I think sometimes we forget that Jesus knows everything, right? We do. We can. And it's not wrong to come to the Lord with specifics, right? But sometimes those short, Lord helps, Lord, they're sick, Lord, the job, Lord, the people, right? God knows <laughs> at the end of the day. God knows. Sometimes those short prayers of just Lord and then, Lord and then are beneficial. They're just a cry for a simple help. Guess what? When we're in times of despair, we can remember we have a friend in Jesus. When we're feeling down and out, we can remember we have a friend in Jesus. When we're in times of difficulty, we have a friend of Jesus. Even when things are going well and prosperous, we have a friend in Jesus. When we're in our deepest, darkest moments and we feel like no one cares about us and that we're all alone, we can remember we can send for Jesus because we have a friend in Jesus. And this is only because of their close, intimate relationship with him. Saints, this is the proper response and the answer to every problem. We call upon the name of the Lord. You call upon the name of the Lord. Amen? And yes, godly counsel is important. Walk not in the counsel of the ungodly, right? But our first response would be take it to prayer, and then the Lord would direct you to who your godly counsel would be. When he says, whom you love, the Greek word here is phileo. It means to treat affectionately or kindly, to welcome or befriend. This is the brotherly love, the friendship. There's no secret that they were indeed friends of Jesus. Everyone knew in that town that they would let Jesus come dine with them. Everyone knew it wasn't a secret. Well, what about you guys? Does everyone know you guys are friends of Jesus? Does everyone know you guys are born-again believers, right? Do we hide it sometimes? Do we hide it on, light our light, put it under a bushel, right? We should be bold. I would, I would pray and hope that everyone who sees you guys will think you're Jesus freaks. I'm okay with that. Cool. I'd rather be a freak for him than anything else, right? <laughs> Amen? Some of us are freaks for other things, but we need to be a freak for Jesus, right? Let's, let's bring it back down to what really matters. Jesus stated, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus would constantly welcome in. And Jesus stated in Matthew 25 that I was naked and you clothed me. I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison and you visited me. Whatever you do to the least of them, you do unto him. Can that be said of us, right? Are we a reflection of our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? So as many of you know, I, I, by God's grace, um, I'm the campus pastor here. After we had chapel today, Believe it or not, in a Christian school, there's bullying. No way. Shocker, right? So there's bullying, people being mistreated, um, and, and things that are ungodly that are going on. But I challenged the middle schoolers and the high schoolers after everything was done, and I asked them, hey, check it out, guys. You guys are supposed to be believers in Christ. How is the way you're treating each other reflecting your relationship? It had to be said, right? Amen. It had to be said. Because so many times we forget that the reflection of how you treat people is really a, a reflection of your condition of where you are with the Lord. Amen? Jesus said, you'll know you're my disciple by the love you have one to another. Saints, we're ambassadors. You know what that means? You're a representative. My man Brett got the Jesus Essential shirt on. He's repping Jesus, right? He's an ambassador. So that means you better treat people kind, all right? Amen. All right. <laughs> but I just think of this. They welcome Jesus in their home. That's what they're known for. Is Jesus welcome in our home? Some of us don't even welcome Jesus in our car, right? 
You don't want to even listen to Jesus' music. You turn it off as soon as you leave. Some of us, Jesus only welcome in our home, right? That's, that's a home thing. I don't take them outside of that. But I really encourage you guys for Jesus to be welcome in every area of your life. That is a wonderful blessing to have. And I like that we can glean from Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Each of them has an aspect of faith that I think we all can cherish and glean from. But it's such a blessing to know that no matter what we are going through, that we're friends of Jesus and we can sin for him. And we need to. Verse four, when Jesus heard that, that Lazarus was sick, he said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the son of God may be glorified through it. So the news gets to Jesus and he just simply points out that although Lazarus was very sick, he was not going to die. He says it's through the glory of God. Now, this time, some believe that actually Lazarus was dead at that point. Once the news got to him, there's two days um, journey. So once the news got to him, so that Jesus is actually saying Lazarus is not going to die when he's already dead. Okay? That's the only Jesus, right? Who knows all things. Nothing, it goes aside from him. So Jesus illuminates the fact that this was in his control, like everything else, and the purpose was for the glory of God and that the Son of God will be glorified through it. It was going to be a demonstration of the power and the identity of who Jesus is, and that is God in human flesh. But for us, how many times do we face trials, difficulties, perils of life, and then we act and even feel like the Lord is not there or that he doesn't know? That happens a lot to us because in our, our despair, we respond in our emotions and we forget the reality of what the Bible teaches. He says, I am the one that goes before you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Everything that happens has to go through God's hand. Again, I gotta go back to the book of Job, right? We see that very clear. They have to come to God and ask for permission. And then God will allow, and then he will use it for his glory and the perfecting of your faith, right? He does not do anything arbitrarily just because, well, because I was God, I just did that, allowed it to happen. He doesn't do that. You don't find that in scripture. He has no wasted movements, none. Everything that God does is intentfully, and it has a purpose, but are we looking for that? Are we looking to see what God has for it? Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but in me, you will have peace. Some things that we see in scripture happen, but God used it for good. Joseph in Genesis, what the enemy meant for bad, God turned to good. The blind man in John 9, Rabbi, which one of his parents sinned? None, he says, but that the works of God should be revealed through him. If you guys remember, Pastor Dave's sons got sick before he was, when he got sick, before he was even at this church. And then he got so sick that he had stepped down from his church. His boys went sideways. Where'd he end up? Here at Calvary Chapel. Did God not work that for the good or what? All of us would not even be here. I know I wouldn't be here. But God, what the enemy meant for bad, God turns for good. All for his glory. Amen? Can't forget that. When he says sickness unto death, rather this will lead to death, but it will not remain that way. It's simply a battle in the war, but it does not decide the war. We must remember that God is sovereign. He's in control. But let's be real. Some of us act sometimes we like we believe in the sovereignty of Satan rather than the sovereignty of God. Let's be real, right? 
Well, the devil, well, the enemy, well, the, he's real, right? Let's not be, he, the enemy's real. But the Bible says, greater is he who is in me than he who was in the world. And so while the enemy is real, we have a power within us, Romans 8 says, the resurrection power in us to overcome anything that the enemy throws our way, right? We have spiritual resources to fight the battle, and the, the Bible says that we already have victory in Christ, and yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us, right? So we always got to go back to the book. What does the Word of God say? Thus saith the Scriptures. What did Jesus say? That's what we always should go back to. And of course, one I love, and I think it filters through everything we go through in life, and if you're not a believer, you don't have this, but Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So although this sickness led to death, but it will not stay in that way. Saints, look, it's in the valleys, not the mountaintops. It's in the shadow of the valley of death, not the heights of life, that we learn to trust in the Lord. As was once said to me, the valleys will teach you something that the mountaintops never could, right? It's something in the valley of the shadow of death that we learn and we cling tight to the Savior when we go through our deepest moments. And for them, this is what's going on. And for a lot of us, we're constantly going in and out of those scenarios in our life. But we can always look to Jesus in every single one of those, right? Amen. Verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. The writer John makes it very clear. Jesus loved him. Jesus loved Martha and her sisters, and Lazarus. The Greek word here is agapeo, to be fond of, love dearly. This was different from verse three, where it was phileo. Remember, Jesus would stay at their house often. He would dine with them. I love how John makes it very, very clear. Jesus loved them. And then verse six says, and then he just waited a couple days. What? What? That's not love, right? What love got to do with it? That's not love, Right? So when I look at something like that, I'm like, yeah, I'm that, that, no, you don't love me. My family member's sick. I came to you. You got to settle that account. And then you say, I'm going to wait a couple more days, right? In the, in the natural, that doesn't make sense, right? I, you hear that, you're like, well, yeah, that's, not, that's not caring about me, you know? You come, hey, your son fell off the playground. Okay, I'll be in a couple hours. He'll be all right, right? It doesn't look like, when you look at that from a, a fleshly perspective, it does not look like that's love, right? But if you go back to what the text said, so that the glory of God would be revealed. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we more concerned about our comfort and our immediate need being met? Or are we more concerned about the glory of God? And you know what it reminds me of? When Jesus said, Peter, step behind me because you savor us not the things of God, but the things of man, Right? Are we set, have our eyes set on the things that are above or the things here on earth, right? Now, don't get me wrong. This is a real sickness. It's a real problem. But we have to remember that God is in control, amen? And the good thing they did was they consulted with Jesus. Verse 6 tells us that Jesus intentionally waited two more days. Remember, our faith must be tested in order for it to be trusted. One of my favorites is Gideon. Love, I love the story of Gideon. Hey, check it out, Gideon. Mighty war valor, right? Mighty man of valor. When he was hiding, he was scared. Lord, show me a sign. Okay, show me another one, please, right? <laughs> and 
And it says that he was against a, uh, the army of Aaron. No, you couldn't number it, right? And they say, you know what? You got too many people. You just might try to take the glory. So I'm going to remove 22,000 of them. Ones are scared, right? And there's, 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 still, too, there's still too many. So I, I'm going to remove, go down to the water. You know, all that, drink the water like this. I'm going to remove them. And then only 300 were left, right? Now, again, from a fleshy perspective, God, what are you doing? You're setting me up for failure. It's only 300 of us against the number of the sand of the sea. How are we going to win that? He says, with 300, we'll prevail, right? And then you guys know the story, the glory of God, why we're talking about it today, right? But constantly, we need to keep the focus on the glory of God, not what you see in the flesh, but what we know about our Savior, right? Amen? Oftentimes, the Lord will allow us to suffer for the glory of God. We need to remember we are not the center of the universe. God is. That's why it says his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's okay to be concerned and it's okay to consult with the Lord, but it's not okay to keep doubting him in the midst of that. Amen? I look at Israel, 400 years. They doubted and then a great salvation came from Egypt. Without Joseph being sold into slavery, the nation perished from the famine. So this is a reminder to us, God is in control no matter what it looks like. That's why we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse seven, then after that, this he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. Hey, what? What about Lazarus? So you're gonna wait two days, now you're gonna go to Judea. What about Lazarus? What about Mary? What about Martha? Didn't, don't you love them? Don't you care? Like they said in the boat, Lord, don't you care we perish? Trust me, the Lord cares, right? The Lord cares very, very much. One would think at this point, Jesus is not too worried about his friend's sickness. He's requesting to go back and most likely preach the gospel. Jesus is concerned about his father's business. This is what we call heavenly perspective. As I like to say, get your mind on heaven and heaven on your mind right? In verse 8, he said, the disciples said to him, Rabbi, about Judea, that was my, my, my uh, ad-lib, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you're going to go there again? So now Jesus doesn't care about Lazarus, and then he wants to go to get stoned. What's up with him, right? And this is just how you could think about it in the natural. Something's up. Disciples remind Jesus that they wanted to stone him. Back in John 8, 59, they wanted to stone him. Back in John 10, 31, they attempted to stone him. Imagine after all the miracles, teachings, the disciples still have fear for the Lord. Something's going to happen to you, Lord. I know you have power to feed the 5,000, which I believe was 20,000. You add it all up. I know you have power to heal the blind, right? I know you have power to heal the lame, but I'm concerned they might stone you. Even though you got away those other times, this just might be the time, right? And sometimes we can find ourselves instructing the Lord. You know, Lord, that, I don't think that's a good idea. Abraham, yeah, you know what, Lord? Hey, take your time. I got it. We'll take care. We, we got it from here. We'll call you if we need you, right? We can, we can fall into that. We can. And I just want to encourage you guys. We need to get back to the basics. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We're to walk by faith, not by sight. But imagine how one might feel at this time. Disciples are most likely feeling scared and confused Lazarus, our friend, is sick, and you want to endanger us and yourself? Come on now. I'm about to sit this one out, right? 
Oftentimes, being obedient to the Lord seems foolish and dangerous. Remember Noah? Dude, has it rain? What are you doing? Right? All the way up until the day he got into the boat. And then they're like, oh, yeah. Can we get in? Nope, door shut. Right? But it looked foolish because it never rained before. Abraham, offer your son. Well, what are you doing? It looked foolish until we saw what it was a picture of. When the storm was coming, the disciples in the boat were sleeping. And then he calmed the storm. Doesn't matter what we go through. It's all about who we go through it with. As I said before, I couldn't imagine going through all the heartaches of this life without Jesus and the saints. Amen? Apostle Paul and Lystra, stoned. I believe he rose from the dead right back into Lystra. That doesn't make sense. You just got stoned. What are you doing? Heaven. Heaven on the brain. Right? The gospel is the most important thing. So if you want to stone me, send me to heaven, I'm good with that, right? Eternal perspective. Sometimes, saints, as long as we're focused on the temporal, we'll miss out on eternal opportunities. We need to stay focused. Verse 9, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that, he said to them, well, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. So obviously back then, they don't, they don't have lights, so you can't work at night. So all the work had to be done during the daytime. So Jesus just simply referencing what I'm going to do. I need, I need the day to be here, the light to be here. Um, also, it's part of a divine timetable, is that Jesus knew there was a short amount of time for him before he got to the cross and he knew everything that he needed to do under the Father's will. And so that's a reminder for us, guess what? A life's but a vapor, and we need to be about it for the short amount of time that we do have. Most of the people, when it's time to die, they don't know that. I think the most vivid one was Kobe Bryant, right? When we heard everyone's shocked, like, what? Not him, he's invincible. Nobody's invincible, right? We're invincible until the Lord's done with us, but when that time comes, the Bible says it's appointed. We all have an appointment. No escaping that. It's appointed for us to die once and afterwards as a judgment. So there is this timetable. We see in John 9, 4, while it is daytime, we must do the works of him who sent us. Night is coming when no one can work. We see in John 12, 35. Then Jesus told him, for a little while longer, the light will be among you. Walk while you have the light so the darkness will not overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. A term Jesus would often use is my hour. My hour is not yet come. My hour is not yet come. That hour was that divine time when he was going to die for the world. Okay, that was his appointment. And if you know, Jesus was constantly fixed on that appointment. My hour, my hour, my hour. Each and every one of us have an hour and that time. And that's why Solomon says, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. We need to be prepared for our hour. Are you sharing the message of the cross? We, let's be real. We all talk a lot. I'm one of them. Guilty. Charged, right? But I would hope that our conversation would be mostly filled with the gospel because those are the words that you will never regret. All the other stuff, you'll regret it. But those are the words of the gospel that you're not ever going to regret. How are we using our time and preparing for the moment? We have a short period of time. Our lives are but a vapor. 
We only have a short time to walk before the darkness comes. The reality of death is we're all going to die. God's delay is not his denial. We see in verse 11, he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go wake him up. Now, if you guys hear that on the service, hey, be sleeping, what's the big deal? Let that man, let him nap, right? We don't need to go two days journey for him to nap. I'm not like, come on, Jesus. Now, you know, Jesus, I think I need to sit you down, right? This is, this is too much. <laughs> if he's sleeping, what's the big deal? So here's, back then, that was a term that they used. So here's what he says. Sleeping refers to those who are dead, but are believers before the resurrection, okay? So this whole soul sleep where people are like, oh, no, your soul's sleeping. No, no, no. See, believers, the body, death literally means separation. Your spirit separates from your body and your soul, Right? And so the spirit goes to, if you're born again, absent from the body, present with the Lord, all right? Luke 16, Luke 16 gives the vivid reality of that, although that was before the cross. But at death, the spirit, if you're not saved, you go to Hades, right? Until the day of judgment. If you are saved, you're directly in the presence of the Lord, right? And so when he says he's sleeping, that is a term used for believers, is that their, their body is asleep, but their spirit is with the Lord. That's what Jesus means. Now imagine... You're with Jesus, traveling with him all over and experience all these miracles and mighty works. And then he says, our friend is taking a nap. Let's go wake him up. That doesn't, that's not going to fly. That's not going to fly with me. No, we're not going to go wake him up. We got to preach the kingdom, right? It's time to preach the kingdom now, not wake people up from a nap, right? But that word sleep means to put to sleep, slumber, decease, or to be dead. And so the New Testament, sleep always refers to the body and not the soul. Mark 5, 39, regarding Jairus' daughter, She's not dead, she's asleep, right? That's for context. Acts 760, regarding uh, St Stephen, first martyr. He was stoned and it said he fell asleep, right? That is the term that is used. The body is dead, the spirit is in paradise. Obviously that was before the cross, but after the cross, as I said, the sleep and their spirit are in heaven until the resurrection of the just, John chapter five, for more context. May we always look to the day where we'll be face-to-face -face with Jesus. Verse 12, we'll move quickly, run out of time. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get well. That's what I'm talking about. That makes sense to me. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. They thought he was napping. Again, the disciples, often, if you guys know, when they walk with Jesus, they often um, have a very temple perspective. I think we can all relate to that. Because we, we don't walk with Jesus as closely as we should, and we're really prone to looking at things in the flesh and how it appears. We constantly need reminders to get back in the spiritual that, guess what? You, you, you have a conflict with somebody? Well, what does the Bible say? We walk in the flesh where we don't war in the flesh. So you're really not battling with someone. You're battling with spirits. They're just a vessel, right? But how many times do we need that reminder? You know what? They're not the enemy. They're just the ministry. They're just an opportunity for me to minister. I'm, I'm basically bringing a, a knife to the gunfight, right? I'm fighting a spiritual battle with fleshly resources. That's not smart, right? So constantly we need a reminder to get back to what the, what the spirit does and not what the flesh does. And that's how we lose every battle, by fighting it in the flesh. So instead of just following Jesus' instructions, they question his instructions. Saints, may we not lean on our own understanding. This is what from I've learned Life's just easier if you obey. Amen? Like, okay, Lord, all right, I don't get it, but 
you're never wrong, so I'll do it, right? It's just easier, but we still struggle in those areas. But may we not lean on our own understanding. 14 says that, then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's gone. You guys didn't get it. I used sleep. You didn't understand it. So he, he's dead, all right? He's dead, okay? We need, to, we need to go now and see him, right? So Jesus makes it clear he's dead. Plainly, that word means without the use of figures in comparison. So he has to speak to them plainly. They didn't get it. How many times the Lord have to reveal things to us? We don't get it. We ask over and over and over. We need to be reminded through the scriptures. Peter, no, Lord, you will not go and die, right? And what did he tell him? He had to rebuke him because he was constantly thinking in the, the temporal and not in the eternal. 15 tells us that the purpose was that you may believe that you may believe. Verse 14, when he tells them, then Jesus said, plainly, Lazarus is dead. And 15 says, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. So if Jesus was there, obviously that wouldn't have been that much of a miracle, right? Well, Jesus is already there. So, you know, of course he'll raise him for the dead. Of course Jesus can. I mean, we, the skeptics we have, right? I mean, Jesus was casting out demons. What did they say? Oh, you're doing it by the power of demons. They saw all the miracles and they still denied all the skeptics. So Jesus waited and he said, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you will know that you know that you know that I am who I say I am. This is the theme of John's gospel. He uses the word believe over a hundred times. The Greek word pisteo, to place your confidence and trust in. Believe, 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 believe the condition for salvation. All who believe in their heart will be saved. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved so that you may believe. He speaks of all who bear witness of him that you may believe. Our Lord makes the most of all the sufferings. So clearly Lazarus is dead and we know Jesus is gonna raise him from the dead. And again, this is a picture of what sin does. It slays us all. The Bible says in Adam, we all die. Yet there's a cure for our sickness and it's Jesus. Christ's suffering, death on the cross and our place for our sins. As I like to say, he died with all of our name tags on his heart. It's personal. When you think about his death, he had your name. Brett's in front of me, he had Brett's name on his heart when he died. He had every single person you name on his heart when he died on the cross in your place. That should have been you. But because of God's great love, Ephesians tells us, that while we're dead in our trespasses and sins, he made us alive in Christ Jesus, and by grace we have been saved. Verse 16, then we see Thomas, who was called twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. What in the world? Thomas? Look at this guy. Look at that faith. We'll go die with them. I didn't want to sleep with him, but I wanted to go die, right? When he was sleeping, I didn't care much. But let's go die with him. Tom is best known for his doubt after the Lord resurrected from the grave. Yet in this text, he appears to be the only one who's obedient and loyal to the Lord's commands. His zeal is to be admired, yet his knowledge may be lacking. The Lord has come to make dead men alive not just to wake us up. Amen? So review uh, point number one, and I'll, I'll speed up because I know we're not going to finish. 
the reality of death. We're all going to die. The sickness of sin, as you guys have heard it said before, we're all S-I-N positive. Uh, the wages of sin is death. We're all going to die one day. But we know that at the end, Jesus has the power over that, which we're going to get into see. Secondly, God's deny, delay doesn't mean God's denial. We need to just be patient and wait on the Lord. Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. But just because you don't get an answer right now, that doesn't mean that's a no, all right? So we need to see that. Point number two, now dealing with death in Jesus. Verse 17 in your Bibles. So then when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Eef. So Jesus arrives, Lazarus already been dead four days. So imagine at this point, it's absolutely going to take a miracle. There's, there's no way that he is going to be alive unless a miracle happens. Now, what I love about this is Jewish uh, superstition was that the soul stayed near the grave for three days, hoping to return to the body. Therefore, it was accepted that after four days, there was absolutely no hope for a resuscitation or a raising to life. So I love the fact that Jesus waited four days, but they even found that when you do the math, when Jesus got there, it was already about six to seven days. Seven days make more sense, right? Number of completion. But six to seven days when Jesus had already got there. Now, I know Jesus shows up then at me. I'm like, yo, where you been? Right? Where you been? been I, I sent that message days ago. No point now, right? But let's look and see. See, there's nothing impossible with the Lord, no matter what it looks like from the outside. Always has a plan. It's for his glory it's been said, your story for his glory. Amen? Verse 18, he says this. Now, Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. So the Jews had, and other, had joined the women to comfort them concerning the death. Now, comfort, it means to calm, console, and encourage. And Sunday, I think we saw a beautiful picture of that of the comfort and the encourage that the body of Christ extends. That's how it's supposed to be done. I couldn't imagine going through that without having the comfort of one that comes from the Holy Spirit and two that comes from the body of Christ where we weep with those who weep. And the Bible says when one member hurts, the whole body feels it. And I think we all felt it. And we felt it before with other members in the body of Christ. Yet we grieve as the scripture says, but not like those without hope. We comfort those who are hurting. How we deal with death shows a lot about us. Sure, it hurts. Yes, we're impacted, but we must always keep in mind that for a born-again believer, death may be fatal, but it is not final. Amen? We have to remember that. Death has no sting, the grave, no victory. A few things about death, the scripture says. 2 Corinthians 5 says, we're further clothed in a holy habitation. We are present with the Lord, face to face with him, and we're seeing him for who he truly is. The one thing Job's friends did right was what? Shut their mouth and just sat and comforted him. That was the one thing they did right. And right now, these are what the Jews are doing with Mary and Martha. I remember when my brother was murdered and I had to go through that process. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. I had a one friend from high school 
every day for almost two and a half months, he would text and call me, are you okay? How are you doing? We're praying for you. Are you okay? Every day. And it didn't get annoying, but it was just comforting to know because at that point, I was trying my best to hold our family together. Like I felt like I was the only one who couldn't break down. I didn't grieve until months later. And to have someone come and, and call and console, and other people did too, but I felt like that for some reason was comforting. It was below, no one else knew. It was just a phone call and a text, but it was comforting. And that's the body of Christ. You don't know how your comfort or your text or your call may impact somebody who's, who's grieving or going through something. But I remember that was comforting to me. It helped me get through the process. I don't think we ever get over it, but you have to get through it at the end of the day. Amen? So verse 20, Martha says, Then Martha, as soon as she heard Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Remember, Martha was a servant, always busy, busy for the Lord's business. So Martha was the first one to immediately run to Jesus. But then you see Mary, more reserved, was sitting at the house. Now that word in the Greek, when it says went to meet him, meant to encounter him and to get him to act. So the intention was, Jesus, I need you to do something. I need you to act. I need the miracle. I need something. We are grieving. We are hurting. Example for context, the possessed man in Matthew 8, 28 met with Jesus to get him to act. And the good thing is they, know, they knew where to go. Saints, may we draw near to the Savior that he may draw near to us, but not only in times of good, but also in times of bad. Verse 21, it says, Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. So Martha comes to him and she says, only if, but only if. And I think of that phrase. We have a lot of, of incidents in our lives and we say only if Jesus had. In the moment, in the moment we say that. And then time lapses and then we're glad. Lord, I'm glad you didn't do that. Or Lord, I'm glad you allowed that. Or Lord, now I see your purpose in that. And sometimes we can get the only if, but at the end of the day, God's in control. We live in a fallen world. In this world, you will have tribulation, but in Jesus, you will have peace. And learning how to trust in his sovereignty, you go through the trials of life. And then you realize through that process that he is who he says he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Martha doesn't realize that Jesus does not have to physically be present to heal or really be present. You guys remember the centurion? He said, you don't even need to go. Just say the word. Just say the word. He understood, and Jesus said, what? He marveled at that faith. He said, no, in all of Israel, I have not seen a faith like that. In all of Israel. The centurion understood the concept of savior, ruler, and sovereignty. Is that I just need to say the word, and that which I have power over will obey. Well, Jesus has power over everything. But put ourselves in our shoes. Imagine you summon for the only one you knew could help. He doesn't come right away. You don't hear from him right away. Your loved one is suffering and has now died. How would you feel? Some of us know exactly how this feels. The enemy loves to make us doubt the Lord. 
Lord, if you only had answered my prayer, I wouldn't have lost my job. Lord, if you only had answered my prayer, my marriage wouldn't have fallen apart. If you only had answered my prayer, my family would be together. My loved one would not have died. This is essentially a natural response for all of us. And no matter what it is, I think the good part is that we take, take it to the Lord. No matter how we're feeling, no matter what the moment is, take it to the Lord. Verse 22, Martha then affirms her and says, but I know that whatever you ask of God, he will give you. This is incredible. She knows the Lord very well. She in confidence in the one who is and the status he has with almighty God. Yet she may not truly understand who he is yet. Do you know that as believers, the Bible says that whatever we ask in his name, in his will, he will give us. That's a promise. We could be confident in that. I guess the question is, well, what's his will, right? <laughs> well, I want to ask the Lord, so maybe just ask the Lord if it's your will, right? <laughs> Let this happen. But I found that the more we search the scriptures, the more we spend time at Jesus' feet, his will becomes more and more clear in every area of our life. So maybe go back to Mary and sit at Jesus' feet. Saints, prayer is one of the many blessings of salvation, yet we can probably all agree one of the most underrated aspects of our Christian faith. I think I'll pray. Yeah, I think I need to pray about it now. Should have been doing that to begin with, right? Should have been doing that without ceasing. That should have been our first response. See, prayer is not an emergency exit. It's an entrance to worship. It shouldn't be because I'm in crisis. Let me go pray now. It should be that because I trust the Lord, I am going to go pray. Amen? 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. That's what I'm talking about. The Lord Jesus affirmed that her brother will rise again. Back in verse 4, if you remember, this sickness is not unto death, but to the glory of God. Back in verse 11, our friend sleeps, but I will go wake him up. Verse 14, Jesus said, he is dead, but I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Over and over, he's reassuring his disciples, but they're not listening. I think we do the same thing. We do this very often. We focus more on what we're going through rather than what the Lord is trying to teach us through what we're going through. Trials, tribulations, perils are the, the Lord's way for molding us and shaping us into the image of Christ. It's been said that our trials and tribulations are the, the Lord's chiseling tool to shape and form us in his image. I love the athletic analogy. Those of you who've played sports before, you work out, you get sore, your muscles are tearing. But without that workout, they don't grow, right? Without you pushing it to the limit, they don't grow. Without us enduring through trials, you don't grow. An exhortation from Scripture in Romans 5. We are to glory in tribulations. No, 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 I don't want to do that. Glory in tribulations. For tribulations works perseverance. Perseverance works godly character. And godly character produces hope, and the hope does not disappoint. Again, a constant theme all through Scripture is in this world we will have tribulation but that Jesus is the one who's with us as we go through it. We see that the ones that are used the most by God are the ones that endure the most difficult trials, right? 
Jesus said, and all who follow me will suffer persecutions. It's a promise. Don't be surprised. Just trust in the Lord, right? Trust in the Lord. Verse 24. I'm going to speed roll through these ones. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. That's what you're talking about. That must be coming soon, right? No, no, no. So Martha speaks of her understanding of the end days when the dead in Christ will rise. Jesus talked about in John chapter 5, the resurrection of the just and then the resurrection of the wicked when he separates the sheep from the goat. We will indeed be resurrected, saints, and be given new bodies and live in heaven forever. See, that's the eternal hope that we have, but that's not what Jesus is talking about in this moment. Scripture says that in a momentary light affliction, working an eternal weight of glory. This was the light affliction that she was going through. Verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you, this is personal, do you believe this? Jesus makes a bold claim yet again with the I am statement. The I am, Exodus 3. Who do I say sent me? I am that I am sent me. Meaning I've always existed, the eternal God, the first and the last, the beginning from the end. Jesus says, I am. This is the sixth I am statement. John 6, I am the bread of life. John 8, I am the light of the world. John 8 again, before Abraham was, I am. John 10, I am the door. John 10 again, I am the good shepherd. All these statements point to Jesus as Jehovah God of the Old Testament. Makes it very clear. Only way we miss it, if we don't want to know it. Makes it clear as day. This means that through Jesus and by Jesus, we have eternal life. Death has no sting. The grave, no victory. And I love this quote by Spurgeon. He says, death comes to the ungodly man as a penal affliction but to the righteous as a summons to his father's palace. To the sinner, it's an execution. To the saint, it's an undressing. Death to the wicked is the king of terrors. Death to the saint is the end of terrors, the commencement of glory, the fullness of joy. There's a difference. Believers died well. We transition. We're not separated. Paul was a persuaded man. At the end of Romans 8, he said, for I am persuaded. And what did he use first? Death nor life. Power, principalities, nor angels, things to come, things present, height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. As Job asked, if a man dies, shall he live again? Jesus says, yes, but only in him. The resurrection, a rising up from the dead, life to live, breathe, and be among the living. Saints, we serve a living God. Jesus had to correct the Pharisees. He said, hey, have you not read Moses? Have you not read that he said in the burning bush passage that I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Not I was, but I am. Therefore, I'm not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. That's why I say he's the true and living God. He's the only one the only rock, as Isaiah said, there is no other. This statement, I am the resurrection and the life, and though you die, you shall live. 
Jesus is saying that through me comes resurrection from the dead to life. He's the firstborn from the dead, the Bible says. That means the first person to die and never die. First person to be raised from the dead and never die again. Lazarus, he died again. Matthew 28, when they all rose from the grave, died again, right? Jesus was the first one to raise from the dead and never die again. And in him, we have everlasting life. But saints, the question remains, do you believe this? Is that something that you have confidence in? Because if you do, your life will be lived differently. See, we're saved by grace, but a grace that doesn't change me is a grace that can't save me, right? The true grace of God changes us. We walk in obedience to the Lord. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say, the Savior would say, right? Maybe walk in obedience. Verse, hold on, my papers got mixed in, all right. What verse are you on? My thing went bad. What verse are you on? You guys paying attention? They're okay. That's what I thought, but I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> okay, amen. <laughs> she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Saints, that was the very theme of John's gospel, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Martha makes a confession, I believe what you're saying. I believe you are the Son of God. I believe, I am confident. This is all that's necessary for salvation is believing that Jesus Christ has rose from the dead, died on the cross, and that in him you have everlasting life. And so therefore you turn from your sin, which is repentance, and then you turn to Jesus, which is faith, and that's when salvation is born. Confession simply means to agree with God. That's what it means. I agree with God what you say about my sin. I agree with God about what you say about your son. Do we agree with God about who he says Jesus is? We need that confession. 2831, we won't finish, but God is good. And he said to these things, 28, and when he said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary, her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. Verse 29, as soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. This is Mary, one that was sitting at Jesus' feet, the one that had a personal devotion with the Lord. Now imagine Mary at this point was probably mourning, her brother's dead, and the one who knows what she is thinking is going through as Jesus took a while to get there. Now Jesus said, verse 30, now Jesus had not yet come into town, but was at the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her when they saw that Mary rose up, clunking it out and followed her saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. So Jesus has not made it to the tomb yet. He's not made it to Lazarus yet. He stayed at the very location where Martha met him and the Jews were comforting Mary and assumed that she left to go to the tomb. That's what's going on. How quickly are we to respond to the call of Jesus? She knew he was there. She ran quickly to where he was. Is there a sense of urgency for us to run to him? Is it just in times of bad or also in times of good? May we not make a habit of only running to the Lord in a perilous times. Because then what happens is if you only come to him when you're in trouble, I'll just put more troubles on you, right? We'll just give you more trials. And some of you are like, oh, that's why I've been going through it. I'm praying tonight right after this, right? But sometimes, again, we need to praise God in times of good and times of bad. Not just the times of bad 
but also not just the times of good, but also the times of bad. May we follow Mary's example. Verse 32, and we'll, we'll end here. Well, no, not really. I got a few more minutes. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. Mary, again, when we see her in scripture, she's at Jesus' feet. Every time, she's at Jesus' feet. This woman was devoted. This is an example for all of us to follow. Both Marys, Mary and Martha, same response, different heart posture. Same response, different heart posture. Both of them responded, Lord, if you had been here, right? Mary, Lord, if you had been here. One stood and said, I believe. The other one just bowed at his feet and worshiped. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. He is the God of all comfort. Many people respond to these world's problems with the answers that lead to more problems, right? Mary responded to this world's problems with sitting at Jesus' feet and worshiping him. On our line, we receive comfort from the God of all comfort. In Jesus, we don't die. We live eternally with him. I probably can't say this enough. Absent from the body means present with the Lord. God is never late. He's always on time. Sometimes we think he's going to be late, but he's always on time. Always. Verse 33, therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping, we do grief, weeping, and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He was troubled. Saints, death, it hurts. It hurts. We weep. We go through pain. Our, we can't eat, right? It impacts us and those that are around us. That is a reality. And we do grieve, but we do not grieve like those without hope. Look how Jesus responded. He groaned in the spirit. The word means with anger, murmur, against. He hates death. We should hate death too. We should hate sin because sin breeds death. We should hate all of that. Jesus groaned in the spirit. Trouble, the word means agitated. To take away calmness of mind. Jesus was disturbed and hurt by the impact of death because it causes separation. Those of you who had loved ones who passed, it hurts because they're no longer here. We know they may be in a better place if they're saved, but you won't get to talk to them when you want to. We don't get to see them when you want to like you normally did. So it hurts and we grieve. And that's the reality of sin and death. But it will be done away with one day. Jesus stated over and over and over, this is not unto death. Your brother will rise again. And all who are in me, though they die, they shall live. Last two verses. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. 35, Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. Saints, Jesus was 100% man. He got hungry. He got tired. He was hurt. He felt pain. He felt heartache. He knows what you're going through. He can empathize with our weaknesses and our temptations. The Bible says Jesus wept. He was crying and weeping with them because death causes separation. It hurts. 
This is why Jesus can have compassion on us. The Bible says he's a merciful and compassionate high priest, Hebrews tells us. We'll stop there. So in review, the reality of death, Jesus has the final word. Death is fatal, but not final. We're all gonna die, saints. Sin is the sickness. Jesus is the remedy. God's delay is not God's denial. He brings beauty from ashes. Dealing with death, it hurts, but we have the God of all comfort that strengthens us, that comforts us, that gives us a peace that surpasses all human understanding. In Jesus, we don't die. We live eternally with him. Hammer this home. Absent from the body is present with the Lord. A fullness of joy. And saints, we grieve, but not like those without hope. Amen. Worship team, come on up. Saints, I don't know where, typically on a Thursday night, everybody in here saved, right? That's typically what you can deduct from that. But here's the reality. I don't know the hearts. The Bible says man looks on the outward appearance and God looks at the heart. But we are all going to die one day. And it's appointed for us to die and afterwards is the judgment. And the Bible says that there is salvation and no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the only way that we can be delivered, the Bible says riches don't deliver, but righteousness delivers from death. And Christ's righteousness is the only thing that we will be able to bring before the king when we stand before God. And so the Bible says, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my father. But if you deny me before man, I will deny you before my father and all the holy angels. And so he says that salvation is, is that when you confess Christ is Lord with your mouth and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead for your sin, that you will be saved, settled, done, completed on the cross. And so if there's anyone in here today who has not confessed Christ as Lord and that you are not 100% sure that if you close your eyes up tonight that you will not be in the presence of the Lord, right now is the day of salvation. Right now is your opportunity to say, you know what? I'm not sure. I want to be sure today. I want what Jesus said. I'm the resurrection and the life. I want to be in Christ. If that's you, I want to pray for you. Anybody. Life is not promised. Here today, gone tomorrow. Life is but a vapor. Death is the king of terrors for the non-believer. Anyone in here now, don't be ashamed. Because if you can't confess them in a room full of believers, you're not going to confess them out there. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Anyone in here? Let us pray. Father, we thank you that you are the living God, the mighty God. And that in you, Lord, we live and move and have our being. We thank you for salvation through Jesus Christ, your son. We thank you, Lord, that death has no sting for us. The grave has no victory. We don't need to fear death. We don't need to fear hell. You have delivered us out of the bondage of death. You have delivered us out of sin. You have delivered us out of every single fear that anyone can ever have. And we thank you for your never-ending grace, Lord. I pray for a supernatural courage and boldness for each and every one of us to proclaim the message of the cross, that none of us would be ashamed of the gospel, for it truly is the power of God into salvation for all who believe. Lord, we pray continuously for Pastor Dave and his family, Lord, that you would comfort them with the comfort that only you can bring, that you would be with each and every one of us who are going through something. Maybe we haven't talked about it. Maybe we haven't shared it, Lord, but give us a sensitivity to minister to those who are hurting around us. Life is but a vapor. But if one member hurts, the whole body feels it. 
And Lord, we pray that we would worship you in spirit and in truth and that we would truly long for heaven. Lord, I cannot wait to get there. Lord, now we see dimly through a mirror, but then we will be fully known as you were known. And we cannot wait for that day where we sing hallelujah, we sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Honor, glory, and power, worthy is the Lord and the Lamb. We cannot wait to sing those worship and praise songs now and forevermore. But until then, Lord, we want to finish your work. We love you. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' holy name we pray and the saints said,